The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Tonight on the program, it is Trouble Tuesdays, the night I answer your questions. You can send them by text to 514-800. You can also send them to me by email to lori at drlori.com. And if you want to just speak to me, you can do that at 514-790-0800. Leftovers from last night, and uh, one person responded uh, to a text. A woman had asked uh, that she watches lesbian porn and was wondering if this made her gay or what this actually meant and um, the answer was no just watching that uh, watching uh, same-sex porn does not make a person gay it goes much further than that in terms of how you identify etc and we can find a lot of things sexually arousing especially for women when they did studies uh, they actually showed women they showed a group of women and a group of men kinds of pornography so women were shown uh, woman on woman man on man uh, woman on man women with men and women tended to all women from all orientations tended to find all those things uh, sexually arousing but not men in other words men did not uh, have the same response to uh, male on male uh, but they did respond to uh, this was for straight men uh, male with female or two females so studies are showing so women's minds tend to go in more places Uh, but this texture writes i'm a female and i like gay male porn and women giving oral to men so there's all kinds of things that could arouse us that none of none of them point to an identification necessarily of of uh, our orientation that's the important uh, piece right there a texter wants to know are you aware of any correlation between penile engorgement and sexual arousement some part of penis really fat and long and other partners not so much well there's a direct link between penile engorgement and sexual arousal the more uh, of course in a in a ma- in a healthy male where there are no uh, no general issues the it's a direct link when you are feeling aroused, when you are feeling excited, whether it's visually, whether it's by, by touch, whether it's in your mind, it depends on how old you are. If you're really young, you can get a, a lot of spontaneous uh, erections at just the fact. As you get older, you need more than just the thought to, um, to get in blood flow uh, to your penis, which is the result of that arousal. So you say that with some partners you get really what you're saying is you get really really excited with some partners and with others not it could very well be that uh, some partners aren't uh, necessarily doing it for you sexually could be uh, one aspect of it. another aspect of it too is what's going on in your brain uh, our brains uh, our thoughts can interfere with our uh, level of arousal so I see a lot of men for example with performance anxiety they are feel inside that they're aroused like they're excited however their mind is racing they're worried they're thinking about their performance and so they might not get their full erection and you don't get your full erection when you can't focus on the sensations so when you focus on the sensations you're less in your brain more in your body and hence 
um, better, uh, better arousal. I have a question I've been thinking about for decades. I'm a 51 year old man, but when I was a teenager and having sex for the first time, I experienced pain in the prostate area. It felt like the ejaculation was pulling on something. I'm not circumcised and had quick, intense orgasms when I was that age. Well, uh, it's not something that I have a clear answer for. It's not something you should worry about since you're 51 now. That was in your teenage years and your body is not the same. And teenage developing bodies could feel all kinds of things, uh, including uh, very quick orgasms and probably with more intensity at that age. You have, there's more sperm buildup, you're, you're producing much more sperm, uh, there's more congestion. Oftentimes it's young men that uh, complain more of blue balls, for example. So that could all have been a part of, uh, a part of that. I'm new to online dating, but I'm going to give it a go. I have been to some singles events, but the guys haven't been very interesting. I want a person who shares several of my interests. So the apps at least allow you to find people who play some sports. So if that's one of your interests, obviously, um, obviously the more important things like values have to be discovered face to face, not via text. I agree with you. I think it's, you can't get really get to know somebody just, uh, from text messages or emails or anything like that. You need to get, uh, the vibe of the person. I know that's a very non-tangible kind of thing, but you need to feel that energy between two people, uh, I think, and then talk about and pay attention to what the person is saying so that you can actually read into what they value. You don't, oftentimes people won't just tell you that these are, here's my list of values because everyone will probably say the same thing that they value honesty and they value, you have to pay attention to how they behave in order to be able to determine sometimes their values or how they talk about people or certain things or whatever. So you have to keep your, uh, your eyes open, but that is one way. And, uh, you bring up a good point. It's like finding somebody with similar interests stating it on your profile, what your interests are and that you're looking for a like-minded individual. So you want somebody who's athletic. You want somebody who is in, it likes to play sports, meaning someone who values uh, a healthy living lifestyle, for example, that may be what you, the underlying value is for you and someone who will engage with you in sports, whether it's cycling, hiking, something that you can do uh, together. So yes, putting it on your profile, is it a guarantee that those people who respond will be telling the truth that it's something they're doing? Probably not. If you really want to, the best guarantee to find somebody who's also sports minded is to join some kind of club, whether you join a softball league or a running, like a running club or a hiking club or something like that, where you can also find uh, some people. Another texter says, I think females are often telling the men that something's wrong. We need to work on the relationship. Men don't listen. Women do this over time until they can't anymore and leave. Then men are in shock that they do. <laughs> well, you're, you're kind of right in, in that. When you look at the, the statistics, uh, over 80% of divorces are initiated by women. 
by women. And oftentimes what you, what I hear, at least in my practice is, uh, is exactly that. It's like there's, they give chances and chances and they say what they need. They ask for what they want. And then the partner says, okay, okay, okay. And then they get better for a while and then she lets it go. And then it comes up again. And then over time, like it, it could be over years, the span of years, it might just be one more time that they can't, they just can't do it anymore. And so they call it quits. And the, why are the men are surprised because there wasn't like one major event, right? Like there, it's not like, oh, she caught me cheating or there was one big thing I did or anything like that. And to them, it was like, well, everything kind of blew over and everything was fine. So I thought everything was fine. And so there's a big shock when, uh, she finally says like, uh, I can't do this anymore. And because oftentimes the communication is poor, uh, and what ends up happening is instead of, uh, having that or going for help or really learning how to hear each other over time, the one partner just starts to retreat and move further and further and further away from the relationship. And then so much distance is created that for them, they're done. They're just, there's nothing left to give anymore. So that, uh, that's a pattern that I do see. Is that how it works all the time? No, but that is, uh, definitely a pattern, um, that I see coming up a question about, uh, safe sex between two women. We'll talk about that coming up after a safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Trouble Tuesdays tonight. I answer all your sex questions and relationship questions. 514-800 to text in or call in 514-790-0800. Some people have uh, preferred to email me and that's just great too. Uh, you can email me to lori at drlori.com or if you just go to my website, drlori.com, you can fill out the form there and I will be happy to answer your questions. Uh, this one by text. How does safe sex work between two women? Just realized I've never really thought of that? Uh, that's a very good question. So the recommendation is that women use what's called a dental dam for oral sex. Basically you're talking about a piece of latex. So you can actually take a condom, a non-lubricated condom, cut it, and then put it over the vulva when practicing oral sex. Now ask me how many women actually use dental dams and I'll tell you very uh, very few. So a lot of the <clears throat> uh, sexually transmitted infections are transmitted through uh, bodily fluids. So if uh, the best thing is obviously to get tested beforehand to make sure you don't have any uh, of these sexually transmitted infections uh, to transmit through vaginal fluids, uh, for, for example. Uh, the other thing though, that you cannot, and this is, you can't, you can't protect against, and this is for straight couples as well as gay couples is herpes and, uh, the human papillomavirus, which are both transmitted through skin to skin contact. So if your partner has it and there's rubbing of genitals, then, uh, you can't really, you can't really protect yourself and you need to know that a huge portion of the population at, at, for HPV at least, uh, will have contracted it to some 
point or have come into contact with it, but it usually disappears on its own unless there are warts or whatever that have to be burnt off. The problem is, is that because oftentimes it's asymptomatic, you don't know that you've got it and you don't know whether you have the dangerous strains of HPV, which can lead to cervical cancer which is why it is absolutely essential for sexually active women, straight or gay, uh, to regularly have pap tests done. Uh, pap tests is they, they just take a little a sample of the cervix, they check the cells. If the cells come back as questionable or abnormal or precancerous, they remove them. That, they have found, is due to the human papilloma virus. So, but 70% of the population, that's the last number that I saw pretty much will have it at some point. So most of it goes away, but there are a couple of strains that can lead to cervical cancer, penile cancer. So these are things that we have to uh, watch out for. But safe sex for lesbians, if there are any lesbians listening, do you, how often do you use barrier methods, for example, uh, to practice safe sex? Like what, what are, what do you do? I'd love to hear, but uh, anyway, dental dams, I don't uh, hear that they're uh, used that often. You don't see them at the pharmacy very much either. All right. Good evening, Dr. Lori from, uh, uh, an emailer. Tonight's show is exceptional. That was last night's show. We had our, our boys club on your show had me thinking my girlfriend is away for a month in Sweden visiting family. I am divorced, married when I was 21, lasted 12 years, dated after that few lasted a year or less. One lasted five or six years, then got into another long-term relationship another 12 years. See a pattern? Uh, secret, I still love them all. Not one was a bad breakup. I love, and in brackets, but not in love with the current girlfriend. And in big letters, what is my problem? Uh, okay. Well, uh, good uh, question. What is your problem? The first problem I see is how we define I love but not in love. That's uh, that phrase. I'm going to tell you right out right now. That's my biggest pet peeve to hear that phrase. I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Well, what does that mean exactly? Are we comparing the in love to the first six months of a relationship where you can't get your hands off each other? You're thinking about each other. You have butterflies in your stomach, all of that. That's the in love. That's the in lust stage of a relationship. But we tend to see this as in love. Over time, we lose that sensation and love deepens. Like we have to remember that love changes with time. So when you say, I love my partner, that to me is plenty enough. Uh, what does that mean? You're not in love. Now I'd ask you, okay, do you have... Uh, sexual attraction to your partner. You clearly have romantic attraction, meaning that you love your partner. So there's a romantic attraction there. Uh, or do you love your partner like you would a uh, sister? Like you've got to figure that out in your own head. But do understand that there has, there's a, our expectations about love have to sometimes be adjusted and to, to be more 
realistic because then you go from uh, person to person every time that in love stage disappears, which could be anywhere from six months to 18 months. There's a chemical thing that happens in our brain. There's a dopamine rush that happens at the beginning of a relationship that makes you feel the, the lustful stuff that then we interpret as being in love. So beware. Uh, texter says, Dr. Lori, in regards to safe sex among women, is it necessary to uh, put condoms on strap-ons and dildos? Ah, good question. Am I glad you brought that up? Uh, I'm glad when you call, like when you add stuff because I can't always think on the fly of every single possible thing, but that is very important. Protecting the sex toy. What happens often is that women will share a strap-on or a dildo, but if that's the case, if you are sharing your toy, you need to put a condom on it um, and then re- change the condom when it goes from one partner to another. If there's any anal play, make sure that the condom is changed between anal play and vaginal play. Like you cannot go from one hole into the next. It, uh, you're, you're, then you'd be transmitting uh, bacteria. So yes, very... Uh, very good. And it also protects your, your toys as well. So it's a very good idea to protect the toys that you're sharing with a partner and using with a partner, you should have uh, a condom on it for sure. Thank you. 514-800. If you have a question for me or you want to add to anything that we're talking about tonight, would love to hear from you. I'm currently 20. My boyfriend is 21. We've been together a while and love each other a lot. But the problem is that I'm ridiculously kinky and he can't bring himself to dominate me in the bedroom. What do we do? So kinky girl, vanilla boyfriend, what do we do? It's very possible that your partner does not share your interest in BDSM in kink because you're talking about uh, domination here right submission domination where you like to be the one dominated it's very possible that your partner is not comfortable uh, playing the dominant role in the bedroom and sexuality in this way when something is that ingrained in you because you do say I'm ridiculously kinky so I'm assuming it's something you need it's very hard to compromise on that have a talk with your partner. Maybe you might want to make him a list of things and see what he would be willing to try and things that he considers to be non-negotiables, like where he is completely uncomfortable doing. You can start off slowly with some light domination or light bondage, for example. And if he's good with that, which he might very well be because he knows it's, it's pleasing to you. But what, ask yourself the question, what if he does, he, he will never like BDSM? What if it's not his thing at all at all? Could you live with that? Like that's something only you can answer. Um, if you want more information about this or, or, uh, dealing with a kinky partner or what have you. There's a ton of articles on the site bdsmcircle.com where you might find some helpful um, information there. But that that's a good question. And oftentimes when I tell people 
that if you know this about yourself, if you know you are ridiculously kinky and this is an essential part of your sexuality, which is no, there's no judgment. That's perfectly fine. You have to know yourself. If this is who you are, then you need to seek out partners ahead of time who also have similar interests rather than I'll go out with this person and then hopefully over time, I'll be able to, uh, convince them to do stuff that I like. Well, what if you can't convince them? What if it's something that completely turns them off? Never mind turning them on, but what if it turns them completely off? So are you going to be able to maintain a long-term faithful relationship with that person? Same with, if you know, you're, um, you know, you're no good with monogamy, (laughs) you know, uh, you may want to right away meet someone else who's no good with monogamy, where you decide to have an open type of relationship. So those are the kinds of things that really should be addressed. Coming up more of your questions. One question about fear, first time sex, fear, and a text by a gay woman talking about uh, safe sex and protection. That's coming up after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Ask your questions about love, sex, relationships, 514-800 to text in. A texter writes in, I'm a gay woman and have been having sex with, uh, with women for 15 years. Never used any kind of protection, but always use common sense and not sleeping with strangers. Uh, so, yes, except, you know, uh, I still think it's like... Asking somebody when they last got tested is important. Like asking those kinds of questions and maybe seeing proof would be still a good idea. But uh, common sense, yes. I just, so much is like, you know, people say things like, are you clean? Like, what does that mean? Are you clean? Like, yeah, sure I am. Like, sure, because I don't have any visible um, lesions or anything, but that, doesn't necessarily mean somebody doesn't have an STI and can't transmit. So there's also that part of it. Uh, I'm scared to death because my boyfriend and I were talking about having sex. Neither of us have ever done it. I'm just really scared. We were planning on doing it for a while now. And I'm also scared because of the whole popping the cherry type of thing. And I was wondering if I can get any tips to not be so scared and tips on what to do when I do bleed from down there. Funny, this is uh, the second similar question we we received uh, this week. So I think what you're asking me here is like, what happens when somebody loses their virginity? Everyone's experience is is different. We're all different. Uh, some people may experience a level of pain, a discomfort, and some will say no, that there wasn't uh, too much uh, discomfort or pain. But this also depends on how much tissue your hymen is made up of, your cherry, basically, of what you referred to. So a hymen is basically what is 
broken, if you want to call it broken, when you lose your virginity. But when you talk about the word broken or popped, it's not exactly accurate. The hymen is stretched rather than broken, which may cause some bleeding, but not everybody bleeds and not everybody feels pain. If you continue to experience pain after a few times of having intercourse, then yes, check with your doctor uh, who can see visually if your hymen has been stretched enough. If it hasn't, then there is a a small procedure that they can do right there in the office uh, to help you out. A couple of other tips. You ask for tips. You should make sure that you use lubrication. So, uh, we, yes, we naturally lubricate, but it's, uh, it will enhance the experience and will make it easier, especially if there's a little bit of nerves, uh, to use an external lubricant, which you could buy at a pharmacy, a sex shop online, wherever, um, make sure that you're also very well aroused before attempting intercourse. So make sure there's lots and lots of foreplay. So lots of arousal before you get there. If you bleed a little bit, it's nothing to worry about. We're not talking about bleeding like you're getting your period. Okay. It spotting is more, is more the word than, um, than bleeding. So you might want to just protect your sheets. For example, you might want to put a towel down. Uh, after sex, you still may continue to spot a little bit. So you may need to wear a, like a panty liner to protect your underwear. That's it. So yes, uh, intercourse may be a bit uncomfortable the first time, but it should not continue to be painful over time. If it is, talk to a doctor, talk to a professional about it. And don't forget about protecting yourself from pregnancy because yes, you can get pregnant the first time. This is one of those uh, teenage myths that, you know, oftentimes they think, oh, you can't get pregnant the first time you have sex. Yes, you can. uh, And protect yourself as well from sexually transmitted infections. So talk to your doctor about using birth control. Talk to your partner about using condoms. These are all things you should be thinking about and discussing before you have sex, which I think is, uh, is important. If you're able to have these discussions, you'll have a better sex life and, and certainly better communication with your partner. Uh, due to over masturbation, my right testes is shrinking. Also, my scrotum looks small. What can I do now? I also have a problem of EDPE and less muscle mass. I'm not sure what's going on here because there are many possible conditions that can cause like testicular shrinkage or, or atrophy. Masturbation is usually not the cause of that. I don't really see uh, how this could lead to uh, loss of muscle mass or anything like that. I think it's far more important to check with your doctor to see is there low testosterone? Um, is there something wrong with the testicles? Uh, this is like requires a thorough evaluation and an examination, like a, examine your body to see uh, what's happening there. I just want to point out I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a PhD doctor, so uh, those. I, although I can, I have answers to a lot of things that are related to sexuality. Um, always best 
when there's something physically wrong with you that is persistent or that you notice that's different, please seek the medical uh, medical advice from your uh, general practitioner or uh, a urologist, a specialist in, in that area, or a gynecologist if you're uh, a female. Can watching porn and masturbating cause hair loss or any other psychological problems like stress, anxiety, or depression? Is porn completely safe to use? If it is, how to go about it? So I have never seen a link between masturbation and hair loss or hair growth for that matter. They used to say, oh, masturbation causes your palms to grow hair. It does not. Your hair loss has far more to do with your genetics than anything that you're actually uh, doing. So that's not it. Uh, But when we talk about psychological issues like anxiety or depression, then excessive masturbation, for example, can cause anxiety and depression or can be the result of anxiety and depression. But it all depends on how you feel. How do you feel about your masturbation activities? Do you feel a lot of shame and guilt? If you do, then that will cause you distress. Distress can lead to anxiety and depression. If your sexual activities interferes with you getting into a relationship or it affects your ability to have sex with your partner, then clearly then that's uh, another unhealthy thing. Um, so that level of masturbation would, would be unhealthy. As for porn, most people watch porns. From a statistical perspective, most people watch porn, some more regularly than others. Some don't watch it often, but have seen it at the very least. So porn watching is not a problem per se. But once again, just like excessive masturbation, if you watch it to excess and it impacts your life negatively, then yes, there's a problem. And maybe talking to a professional would certainly help you. So just the fact that you're writing kind of tells me that maybe you're not so comfortable with your, um, with your own activities. So that's something that you may want to look into. Uh, I am a nurse who works with stroke patients. Stroke can have a devastating impact not only on physical function, but on one's self-concept and body image and one and how one feels as a sexual being. There's a great deal of reluctance on the part of patients, spouses, healthcare professionals to talk about sexual function and uh, resumption of sexual activity following a stroke. We are so focused on addressing the physiological and basic functional aspects that we often forget about the impact that it can have on one's sex life and ultimately one's quality of life. This is especially important in younger people. This is a good topic to discuss on your show. Um, I, you know, it would be fun, great to have an expert on who talks about rehabilitation for, for stroke uh, victims, but it's not just stroke, it's heart attack. It's any, any condition, uh, 
can ha- can have an impact on your sex life. And unfortunately, I think you're right. Doctors don't talk about that aspect, which is very important even in the healing process because it 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 connects you to your partner. It it can help reduce pain. You just have to find ways of of doing it. There's a chapter in my book on specific disabilities and resuming sexual activity. So anybody interested, the sex Bible for people over 50 does touch on, uh, on that topic. Uh, if you're interested. All right. Talking about, um, oh, well, there's all kinds of questions happening here. More period questions, sperm questions, uh, all of that after we check in and see what's going on on the roads. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Now here's an interesting question. Can animals get STIs and could it kill them? So my first like response to that was from a human, please tell me no, that's not where you were going with this. But then I just a quick search because I really didn't know the answer to that. Do animals get STIs? But apparently so, um, apparently so sexually transmitted diseases in animals and humans have a historical relationship. According to this article, two or three of the major STDs have come from animals. We know, for example, that gonorrhea came from cattle to humans. Syphilis also came to humans from cattle or sheep many centuries ago, possibly sexually. So maybe when bestiality was something and not outlawed, um, I don't know. Uh, HIV can be acquired from the blood of chimpanzees. And actually I knew, I knew somebody when I was doing my doctorate who was doing her doctorate with me and her research was using, um, the, the little uh, macaque uh, monkeys and the monkey scratched her and she developed simian, it's basically simian AIDS. So, uh, she got it from, uh, the monkey. So here, according to this report, the most common sexually transmitted disease among animals today is brucolosis or undulant fever, uh, which I don't think we get. Uh, so they have different ones that we don't, get, but they also have sexually transmitted infections, which of course they, you know, they can't, uh, protect themselves. <laughs> it's not like you ask a cow to wear a condom. Uh, another STD that humans and other animals share is chlamydia. Uh, a bacterial infection has been found in a wide variety of species, including many mammals, birds, and reptiles. Uh, but the disease can't be spread between humans and animals, just so you know that. Um, And in Australia, researchers have been working on a chlamydia vaccine for koalas, which may also be a step towards development of a human vaccine. So great question. Thank you. I, I learned something myself. Just have to look it up. Uh, shame on those idiots who brought upon those diseases. Yeah, well, diseases start somewhere, right? And this is syphilis, especially who centuries old, that was the disease and it would kill you and cause nerve damage and you couldn't treat it and all kinds of stuff happened. 
Uh, hi, Dr. Lori. I love your show. I'm always tempted to call, but I'm sort of shy about going on the air. Maybe one of these days. Earlier tonight, I was speaking with a bartender friend of mine, and she brought up two interesting points that I sort of doubted, but I'm curious to find out whether there is any truth to her comments. First, she stated that when she is on her period and she handles a draft beer by the glass and not the handle, the beer will go flat very quickly. She said she thinks it is due to an increased acidity while menstruating. Have you heard of this or do you think it has any validity? My argument is that she's not touching the beer and only the glass. Second, she said that men can change the taste of their sperm by eating certain foods and that eating fruits will make their sperm sweeter. Any truth or foundation to this statement? So first statement, the first uh, question is about handling draft beer. That's a question for Dr. Joe Schwartz, I think, our, 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 chem, our chemist here. Um, I, I have never heard of that. I don't know if anybody else has, uh, has ever heard of that. But if you have, please let me know. I'll have to do a bit of research on that. As for tasting the, uh, uh, changing the taste of sperm, absolutely. That you can find research on. Um, remember that whatever you put into your body comes out of your body. And yes, you can change uh, the, the taste of your fluids, the smell of fluids, the taste of fluids. So eating sweeter uh, fruits, for example, uh, like pineapple, uh, that can change the taste of, uh, of semen. There's, uh, there's that element. There's other things that, uh, make the semen more pungent, like asparagus, garlic, things like that, which also has the same effect on, uh, on women's bodily fluids. So there's, um, there's that to consider as well. And, and there was a study done too that showed that a, a more plant-based diet or vegetarian diet also has a, another effect on, uh, on, on sperm and taste. So, uh, apparently they taste, vegetarians taste better is what I heard. Uh, no way that any acid or anything is going between the glass and the beer. Uh, that's what I figured, but would love to hear from somebody who studies chemistry or anything like that to know. I wonder where that even came from or if that's just um, kind of an illusion or something. I don't know. Uh, sorry, Dr. Lori. Quote, sex acts with animals are legal in Canada so long as there is no penetration involved. According to a surprise ruling issued by the Supreme Court, the determination stemmed from a case involving a British Columbia man convicted of 13 counts of sexually assaulting his, ste his stepdaughters, including one count of bestiality. I'm not, I'm not clear what the sexually assaulting of the kids have to do with the uh, bestiality. As far as I know, sex acts with animals are not legal, um, but we'll have to uh, we'll have to look at that. I'll have to look into that a little bit more to give you the uh, the facts. It's it's I've always thought and read that it was uh, illegal, and that it it I mean what can what would can be considered a, a sex act with an animal, if not the involvement of some kind of penetrative something, right? So I don't know. The whole thing makes me want to like, bleh. 
That's all I like. That's the only sensation I have. Ugh. Uh, all right. Another texter writes, it's just a coincidence that she keeps noticing possibly maybe it has something to do with her eyesight and her period. I don't know. Something to that effect could be, could be, um, I love your show. Would love to find out stats on the amount of people who end up divorced, uh, who have been living together before marriage and may or may not have children. So past research has shown that if you live together first, you have an increased risk of, uh, divorce, but what's your goal is your, like, do you live together towards getting married or, and also where are you living? Because in Quebec, you have the highest number of children living in homes with unmarried parents than anywhere else in the world, pretty much. Or at least North America. We are the capital of uh, living together here. So it's really hard to know like which ones end up separated or, uh, or if there's a difference between those who live together and those who don't because I think we have more people living together here than, than people who are in fact married. And that's in Quebec, so I, which I find quite fascinating. That's it for your questions. By the way, you can send them to me anytime during the week. Don't wait till Tuesdays because I do answer them at the beginning of every show. So if there's something that you have a concern about or you want to ask me about, yeah, don't be shy. Just uh, send them to me to Lori at drlaurie.com. Tomorrow night's going to be really interesting. We have uh, a split panel. You know, we have our guys usually on one night and we have a girls on another night. Well, this time we have two girls, two guys or two women, two men, uh, who will, will be discussing all kinds of different topics. So I'm very excited for that. That's, uh, we haven't done that in a very long time. So we'll see how it goes. And then you can watch us live on Facebook. If you want to get notified whenever we do go live, if you go to my Facebook page, Dr. Lori Batito, so D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E, B-E-T-I-T-O, like the page, they'll send you a notification. You'll get a notification every time. Uh, we go live. Thank you so much for spending time with me and thank you for all of your questions. Thank you to Dave Simon, who's back today at least, uh, as our technical producer. Uh, if you want to connect with me, you could do that on Facebook or through social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Dr. Lori Batito. Coming up next here on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a wonderful rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion. 